Welcome to the AEM Education and Training Podcast, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Education and Training Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa with Dr. Rory Merritt, and here's what we've got for you today. Despite estimations that at least 3.5% of Americans identify as lesbian, gay, or bisexual, and that another 0.6% or 1.4 million Americans identify as transgender, it has been well documented that significant barriers exist to providing quality and equitable care to the LGBT population. Compounding that problem, little education is provided to EM physicians on LGBT healthcare needs and disparities. There's also limited information on emergency physician behavior, comfort, and attitudes towards LGBT patients. Today's guest, Dr. Joel Mall, discusses his team's recent paper in AEM Education and Training entitled, Attitudes, Behavior, and Comfort of Emergency Medicine Residents in Caring for LGBT Patients. What do we know? This paper sought to begin addressing this gap via an anonymous survey sent to emergency medicine residency programs via the Council of Residency Directors, and the results surprised me a little bit. Dr. Mall is Residency Program Director and Associate Professor at Virginia Commonwealth University. He previously served as Associate Program Director at the University of Michigan St. Joseph Mercy Hospital EM Residency and Assistant Program Director and Administration Fellowship Director at Emory University. He's past president of the Society of Academic Emergency Medicine's Academy of Diversity and Inclusion in Emergency Medicine. His many honors include being recently named the VCU Health Leadership and Medical Education Residency Director of the Year, and he was also the recipient of the VCU School of Medicine Leonard Tao Humanism Award. His interests include graduate medical education, curriculum development, diversity and inclusion, and evidence-based medicine, and we are honored to have him here to discuss this topic with us today. The full text of this article is available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Mall, for joining us on the podcast today. It's a real pleasure to have you here. So to get right into it, of course, obviously, we have always had LGBTQ patients, but people certainly of my generation, um, you know, I went to med school in the 90s. You know, we certainly never, ever had instruction on caring for individuals in this population. So prior to this study, all the way in 2019, what what was known about this topic in medical education and why did you feel that this was important to study? Yeah, actually I had a very similar experience in medical school and residency. I had very little education about LGBT health. Uh, we know recently we've had a little bit more uh, that has come along. However, a study in 2011 in JAMA looked at the undergraduate medical education realm and found that on average about five hours was taught and often not in the clinical setting at all. And then we came along in 2014 and looked at emergency medicine residency teaching and found that about 75% did nothing. And of the 25% that did any kind of LGBT health, um, usually we average about 45 minutes in the entire residency. So. Um, certainly a long way to go, and I think uh, providers and things like Healthy People 2020 um, and other uh, initiatives uh, through the Joint Commission, et cetera, have recognized a need for some health education on LGBT uh, patients. Yes, absolutely. And in the introduction of your paper, you you mentioned, you know, sort of going along with the importance of, of teaching this in medical school um, and beyond, you mentioned some of the health disparities that the LGBTQ population experiences in today's healthcare. 
Can you highlight some of those? So we do know about some healthcare disparities in the LGBT population. I think uh, important thing to realize is there's probably a lot we don't know, and that may be the majority of the disparities uh, secondary to the fact that it's a difficult population to study. Right. Actually, you know, not commonly collected in data identifiers as far as sexual orientation or gender identity. Um, there is some movement to try to change that in electronic medical records and such. However, even if it were there as a field, sometimes people don't feel comfortable disclosing that information. We do know with mental health that there's increased risk of depression, anxiety, and suicidality, especially in LGBT youth. LGBT youth are also more likely to be homeless. There's some increased incidence of intimate partner violence. There's also increased incidence of cancers, certain types of cancers as far as female type cancers in the lesbian population. There's also uh, increased risk STIs, obviously, in the gay male population relating to HIV. Mm. But that's only a small part of the healthcare disparities that exist in this population. Wow, it's a huge ripple effect from discrepancies, I think, in um, how we were taught to deal with this population and their comfort in interacting with the medical establishment. But it sounds like these are even more pronounced in the transgender population. Is that true? So in the transgender community, actually, it can be a little bit difficult as well because the gender identity in a record or the gender identity in somebody's official medical record may not match what their gender identity is for themselves. However, we do know that a lot of these healthcare disparities are more exaggerated in this population. We also know they have less access to care and some of their healthcare as far as relating to their transitioning may not be covered by their health insurance if they do have health insurance, which are, again, they're more likely not to have health insurance than their uh, gender conforming counterparts. Right. So uh, getting into your study now. So in your study, you wanted to look at the attitudes, behavior, and comfort of emergency medicine residents in caring for these LGBT patients. And obviously that matters. I think patients can certainly tell when their caregivers are uncomfortable um, dealing with them, whether this is an issue of, of race or gender or sexual orientation. I think that people can sense that. Um, so you used a 24-question survey. Uh, can you just describe for us this survey and, and your methods for the study in general? Yeah, so what we did in the survey is we actually took a couple surveys that were done and medical students in the past and adapted them for the resident population. We also wanted to use uh, some additional information with the opportunity to ask them about their specific attitudes about caring for LGBT patients and working alongside LGBT providers. We also wanted to see what they had observed as far as derogatory or uh, potentially discriminatory comments mm -hmm. toward an LGBT patient or provider themselves. So that's basically what we used to uh, come up with our survey. Um, okay, great. Can you give us some of the highlights of your results? So we found a couple things. Uh, one of the things were that our patient population seemed fairly similar to what was known about the demographics of the emergency medicine resident population at the time. So that was reassuring. Um, however, some of the other things we found were fairly interesting. We found that about 25% of residents did not feel comfortable and felt it was more challenging to do a history and physical exam on a lesbian, gay, or bisexual patient. And about 43% felt that way about transgender patients. 
Um, despite the fact that the majority of both seem to have some level of comfort with taking care of LGBT patients, we found that the minority of residents actually routinely took sexual histories on patients that included questions such as their sexual orientation or sexual practices. And a small minority also even asked questions about sexual practices or sexual orientation if somebody had specifically abdominal or GU complaint, where you think that would often be very relevant. Mm. Mm-hmm. Other things that we found out is that about 16% of people heard discriminated comments from other EM residents and about 10% from EM faculty. That's actually lower than what had been reported previously in the literature in the last decade or so. And we found that 2.5% of respondents were uncomfortable with other LGBT physicians, and 6% did not agree with the statement that LGBT patients deserve the same quality care as others. Certainly that last part is very alarming in that as a specialty where we see everybody, regardless of whether we agree with them, regardless of whether we agree with their lifestyle or their values, we take care of everybody, we are the safety net. Um, 6% of people did not feel that they deserve the same quality of care. So certainly that's an opportunity for us to do better. Yeah, that actually blew me away. Um, do you, Are there any limitations of, of, of this study that you'd like to discuss or highlight? So one limitation is that we sent it out via the CORD listserv. The CORD listserv is a council of residency directors in emergency medicine, and it can comprised pretty much the 167 programs in emergency medicine that were in existence at the time that the survey went out. We asked the program directors to forward these to their residents for their completion. We have no idea how many of them did, and we have no idea how many of the residents actually received it. So it's pretty impossible to uh, complete a a, uh, sense of what the response rate is. However, the fact that our demographics were pretty similar, we hope to think that we have a representative sample of emergency medicine residents. The other thing that's difficult as far as any study in this nature is the fact that it's sometimes difficult to study the population that can be invisible. People may not disclose their sexuality, sexual orientation, or gender identity. And sometimes aspects of that that may be of someone's value, faith, or political values uh, sometimes can affect their ability to respond uh, to a question or their confidence responding to a question. Got it. Right, right. So what do you see as the next steps in this area? What, what should we as medical educators um, be looking at next or doing next? I think there's actually a lot of next steps that need to be taken. The amount of information that we know is pretty minimal when it comes to the whole um, global aspect of LGBT health and the health disparities. And also what we know about education of individuals is just now starting to, to be known and to kind of get some sense of that. So I think we really have a lot of work to do. Um, I think the next needed steps are certainly education. I think education goes a long way in helping people understand each other and understand each other, especially if it's an area that's not familiar to them or they have no experience with. And that's really important. However, I think it's also something that as we need to proceed with education, it's also very important to proceed with research and try to figure out what exactly health disparities may exist for this population. This population is often very vulnerable. They can be hidden It can be difficult to sometimes study, but it's incredibly important that as emergency physicians who take care of everybody regardless on their worst day of their life, that we are capable and competent with the cultures and the communities that we take care of. And this is certainly one that is not uncommon in emergency medicine. 
Right. Do you have any plans for um, additional research on this topic? Yeah, certainly looking forward to doing some more research on this topic in the future. I think both in terms of education and healthcare disparities, there's such a rich tapestry that we have not begun to tap into. And I think it's really important that researchers in healthcare uh, disparities, healthcare equity, and looking at determinants of health, look into what exactly makes up this uh, important populations in areas that influence them, areas that affect them, areas that hopefully can help promote their health and well-being. Well, thank you so much for this paper and for the work that you're doing. It's obviously very important, and I wish you continued success. Thanks for listening to this AEM Education and Training Podcast. The full text of this article is available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa. We'll see you next time.